our line of work, you have to churn out high output stuff. You, you have to make what the director wants, what your client wants, and you have to do something outstanding every time within a given deadline, within given constraints, whether they're budgetary constraints, time constraints, and many things like that. And then you also have to be a businessman at the same time. You have to learn how to be a great negotiator. You have to learn how to do fairly high level administrative work, almost like you're like an executive assistant to a CEO. This is episode number nine of Hustle with Harmeet, and you'll be listening to my conversation with Gagan Singh, multi award winning music producer and composer. Welcome everyone to Hustle with Harmeet. My name is Harmeet Singh and I'm your host for this show. Every week I interview interesting personalities from across the globe. The insights and hacks shared by our guests will help you achieve a winner's mindset as well as inspire you to live a life full of passion and purpose. My special guest on the show today is Gagan Singh. Gagan Singh is an award-winning screen composer, musical director, record producer, executive, keynote presenter, and music consultant. He has worked on the music for several Canadian and international productions, including the multi-award-winning feature film, Drone, as well as award-winning film, The Use of Deadly Force. He also won an award for the best original score for the short film, Undone, produced by Foster Films Canada. Gagan has also produced music with several Canadian and international artists. He also manages an ANR talent agency and music publishing label. He is appointed as a board member of the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, as well as a consultant to the Songwriters Association of Canada. One of his life's goals is to be the very first turbaned Sikh gentleman to be caught conducting the orchestra on the podium of a Hollywood score. Gagan's unique skills set him apart from many due to his uncanny ability to blend Western classical and contemporary elements with Eastern classical and contemporary elements. In this episode, Gagan has shared his insights about what inspired a three-year-old Gagan to start playing tabla, how he transitioned from a student to a full-time artist, how he won the award for the best original music score for the film Undone, creative geniuses which inspired him to pursue music, challenges faced by new artists in the music industry, how to consistently churn out creative content amidst all the negativity surrounding us, how Gogan forayed in producing music for films and his learnings from working in the film industry, why he wants to be the very first turbaned sick gentleman to be caught conducting the orchestra on the podium of a Hollywood score, and much more. Before we begin, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and you may also connect with us on our Instagram page at the rate hustle with Hermit for all the latest updates on our upcoming episodes. So let's jump into our episode number nine. Hi everyone, I'm ecstatic and super pumped up to introduce to you all the one and only Gagan Singh who is joining us all the way from Canada. Welcome to the show, Gagan. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I got introduced to Gagan through one of his TED Talks, where he talked about the anatomy of producing contemporary music in minutes. That was not like any other TED Talk where you see a person standing on the stage 
and delivering his experiences. Here Gagan actually shared the stage with his instruments, the keyboards and taught the audience real time how to create layers of music within minutes. That was when I got hooked to Gagan's style of music, his thought process and his passion for technology. In that talk, you talked about how a three-year-old kid started playing tabla. So I'm curious to know what inspired a three-year-old Gagan to pick up tabla as an instrument. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, um, I don't know. Why does a child... I still think about that one today. Why does a child do what they do? Why are they connected to the things they are? And do they come from, you know past lives like where do where does that where does that initial kind of spark come from uh the thing that we call and i i mean that very humbly like the 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 spark from god or the gift from god um that spark of music for me was always there like i was uh mentioning you you know we were talking offline about my mom recognized me playing these big coffee Folgers cans that she would get from Costco, right? right. You buy the coffee in bulk. And so I had two of them, or at least they gave me two of them and I was just playing them. And I don't know if I was playing them like, you know, two congas or bongos, or if I was playing them like tablas, but my mom seemed to recognize it from her, from her vantage point, she recognized that it's tabla. So she's like, okay, we're going to put him into tabla and his inclination is music. Um, I also come from a musical family from my mom's side of things um, on that side of my lineage. So, you know, Indian classical, uh, Gurmat Sangeet, Girtan, all those things were a part of my life um, from early childhood. But uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I think that's between, I, you know, I still uh, ask the creator that of where did that initially come from, you know? So since I mentioned about your mother being somewhat instrumental in introducing you to the, the world of music, do you ever think there's ever been an additional responsibility or do you feel there's a, has been any kind of additional pressure on you to deliver and perform, you know, since you come from a family of musicians? Um, no, not in that aspect uh, that much because um, none of them looked at it or pursued it as a career. And I think the the reason they were doing music was more so for like uh, an extracurricular activity, like focus. We want our children to focus on their education and then we want them to have something to do after school hours. Um, now for me, I always grew up with uh, sports as well. And I'm still, you know, uh, I'm in my mid late twenties now. And um, the passions for me that I had at four, five, six, seven years old, um, they're almost quite the same. Uh, just in a maybe a more evolved state or an evolved uh, mature nature now, but they're still musical and they're still athletic and I'm still involved in both. So I think for, you know, to answer your question for my family, um, it was, it was just an extracurricular type of thing that was more so for maturing the, or, you know, growing the, the education of spirit while working on the, the academic side from, in the daytime, you know, so this was more like an right. evening, evening activity to keep the mind, keep the spirit um, and even the body engaged, you know. Right. So it started initially for you as a side hustle. In terms of the business of it? Yeah. Whew, the business of it. I mean, it did, that didn't come till way later. Um, long, like not to get 
to make this too long winded, but I started uh, producing music from actually just playing tabla and playing instruments. I started producing uh, music after uh, my brother and his friends were just DJing for fun and mixing music for fun. And they were teaching me the software and I wanted to learn how to create my own music. Um, so it, while I was in school, um, especially in high school, I dived deeper. Uh, I was learning musical theory and Western classical music. And, I, and outside of school, I was learning uh, tabla and dals and rags and Indian classical music privately uh, from my teacher. Um, and so I was pursuing both of those. And that led me to uh, pursue music production more full on. And then I just fell in love with it. And after that, it was kind of uh, just constantly music. And then I didn't really establish a business in it, a, pr a formal business in music production until about maybe only three and a half years ago. So that was, you know, when I got out of school or I was getting out of school. Um, so yeah, you're right. It, it, it definitely did start as a side hustle because I was always uh, academically and athletically involved as well. So uh, music was always three, four, five hours in the day, but it, it did start um, kind of, you know, in the evenings. The evenings and nights great so Gagan, do you remember the exact moment when you made up your mind okay now that's it i want to take a full-time career out of this music right so you remember the exact moment and probably once you discuss the same with your family members you know parents this is the path i want to pursue for the rest of my life so what kind of conversation you had uh, with your mother or family members that time oh i think about that one still today again that's not um that's not a black and white one uh, answer for me to answer, but uh, it's a little more complicated than that. So for me, just to back up a little, like the initial inspiration where I knew I was in love with something and just fascinated by it, it, it was um, my father. It was 1998, I think. So I must have been five or six years old. My father brought home a VHS. That's how this is. This is backdating it. <laughs> Before the turn of the century, my brought my father brought um, a videotape, a VHS home of Yanni. So I don't know if you know of Yanni, the composer, the the long haired and and mustache composer. And, um, he's got an iconic look, and um, he it was called the the VHS was called Tribute, and it was it was in video format, and it was a live concert that him and his orchestra performed in front of the Taj Mahal, and and this was coming off the success of. Yanni live at the Acropolis and Yanni live in front of the Great Wall of China. So I, I didn't know all those things. I didn't even know who Yanni was. Very, you know, little child, grade one, I think. And uh, one evening we were having dinner and after dinner he put the VHS on and um, I was just mesmerized. Like I was, I could not, I've, I'd never seen anything like that. I'd never heard anything like that. It was just, it was like watching a, uh, a uh, magic show or something for me. It was out of this wow. world. And I think after that, I knew something happened. It's like, it's it's probably akin to, you know, falling in love in that way where it's like your life just is never the same previously. That aha moment, yeah, like five minutes previous to that moment, my life was different and I was something else. And about like two hours later, I was something else, you know. Uh, so that was a life-changing experience, I think, uh, when I think really, really deeply think back to it. After that, in terms of making it a career, I didn't know. Um, and saying that I come from a musical family, again, I say like no one pursued it as a, as a profession in, in any sense of the word. So 
I didn't know all the careers that existed in it. All I did is when I was starting to, my father bought me um, a Yamaha Motif XS6, which is a, it was a music production sequencing keyboard. So it was like an all-in-one kind of keyboard that you can sequence all your own music in it. So you didn't need right. any computers or any separate um, pieces of equipment. So I would keep that in my bedroom and pretty much all night long, I was with that thing until I would tire out and sleep. And uh, as I was creating all these pieces of music, I was creating little CDs of them and then putting in, them in the car and then listening to them. And friends and family and people I was showing them to, they were all saying like, this sounds like this nice kind of like background instrumental music. And um, it was always hinted towards me that, hey, maybe this would be like good in uh, like kind of like the, a backdrop of a visual setting, like, you know, background music for movies or for television programming or something like that. And so as I got into university, um, I joined a program called uh, Arts and Entertainment Management at the University of Toronto, which is right near where I live. Um, and then within that, I double minored in uh, music and media studies. And because I did media, which was really, I, I only did a double minor in media just as a placeholder because I thought, well, I, I like all kinds of media as well. I like movies and all those things. So we'll see what this has to offer. But that was actually another turning point where um, from each uh, program director of each program that was in. So technically I was in three programs. I was in arts and entertainment management, um, which is the, the business side of the arts. And then I was also in music and also in media. And so I had a lot of professors and mentors there to look to, to ask that, like, you know, this is what I do. How can I, you know, how, what can I do after this? How can I make a career in this? And so that's where I really started to explore the possibilities of film music. Uh, a lot of careers uh, or career paths that came up, I didn't even know until like my senior year. And, and we'll get into that uh, in, in a later part of this conversation. Um, one of them is music supervision. So that started, that's something I've only started over the past, I don't know, eight to 12 months uh, in terms of uh, as a business. Uh, it's something that I've been working on behind the scenes. So music supervision is the licensing of music and um, kind of the a creative administration, licensing and publishing and, and pulling songs into a movie. So when you see, when you watch your favorite movie, whatever it may yeah. be, uh, the songs that are, are from there, uh, if they're already pre-existing songs by a, a major label recording artist or whatnot, there's a music supervisor who's not only worked with the director to fit those and sequence those in with the music editor and the music director, but, um, you know, very tastefully, but they've also done the whole uh, licensing and administrative side of negotiating a great deal. Absolutely. Between the, the, the studio and the, and the record label. Yeah, absolutely. So these are things that I just, I didn't know, um, you know, at 15 years old when I was, I had a keyboard in my bedroom and I was producing music. I just knew that I love music and I'm going to produce music. And I, I keep saying it like it's, it's akin to falling in love as a child. When you fall in love with a, a girl that you you just see and you're enamored by it's the same thing there's no there's not really any intellectual thought behind it so there wasn't there wasn't really any intellectual motives behind it at that time it was only you know when you start going into your early 20s and then your family's like okay how are you gonna you know pay your bills with this now you know, that's something you got to tell us so um yeah that started to happen later on but it's it was a very gradual uh process 
Amazing. I'm loving this conversation with you, Gagan, you know, because talking to you, I could see that sense, that passion, the oozing passion and love for music. You know, yeah. it's, I love the way you expressed it, you know, just in the way you fall in love with a person. For Gagan, yeah. it's been like falling in love with the music. And right. that thing right. reflects in the kind of music which you produce, Gagan. And right. one thing which I really like what you said, while you were starting out in your journey, there were a lot of things which were unclear to you. Path was not clear. Probably not too many people are there to guide you the route which you want to take. So listening to I could sense it. the journey was about, all about connecting the dots. Absolutely. You know, pick up this dot, connect the next, connect the next. I'm going to figure it out along the way. And right. uh, Great. So Gagan, can you share something with us? How you got the award for the best original music score? You know, because I believe that brought you to the scene. Right. And what kind of challenges you faced in creating it? Because I believe you created the entire soundtrack in less than 48 hours. So you want to share something? Yes, on that? I actually created that in eight hours. It was a competition. It was actually a film festival that happens here in Toronto every year. I think it happens across Canada now. So it's more for like emerging filmmakers, younger film directors who are, you know, emerging and just out of film school or whatnot. Um, a young film director approached me uh, who's a very who's turned into a very dear friend. He was actually someone who gave me my first break. He went to the same university I did, and he's a, you know uh, four or five years, a few years older than me, and maybe a few years ahead of me in his in in his line. And um, you know, I, I started you know doing some advertising work and and background music for him. But in terms of the award, um, it's an interesting story because they shot the whole film it was a short film that had to be shot and fully produced uh fully delivered within 48 hours um so that's where people people get a, li a little mixed up and maybe you know maybe i'll clarify that on my website or something underneath uh you know in a blog format or something but like um the true story is actually that it was um it was kind of like over like a long weekend period if i remember correctly so this was in 2016 and you're right, this was, for me, it was a big break because it was, it gave not only um, others the confidence in me, but it really gave me the confidence in me that, hey, look, on a professional level, I can deliver and I can deliver under massive time constraints. So I was delivered a file, usually the way this is, this, you know, this is the way a lot of post-production works anyways these days, and now especially due to the pandemic. So I was sitting in my home studio, separately from the directors and the editors, they just sent me a cut. They sent me a rough cut of the film. They had chopped it up, kind of just did a rough job. They sent it over to me and they were continuing work on it. So they were gonna make more changes. Now I had to come up with a score, a piece of, of background music from scratch. Um, mind you, luckily it was a short film, but I managed to do it in about eight hours. I, I scored the whole thing. So I, I, got, I, you know, I got up at like six, seven a.m. I had a coffee, you know, did a, did a quick little mini stretch, got ready and, and got, you know, just literally jumped into it. And I was done by the afternoon, by two, three o'clock, um, sent it back to them in the late afternoon. They loved it. By the evening, I was just making minor changes and uh, mixing the files to get, send them deliverables. So it was like within a day. And that was like an, another another reason it was an amazing moment for me too is because in this industry there's a lot of t uh, very tight deadlines and that's something that I've, uh, i i really appreciate university the university life teaching me as well because a lot of times there's tight turnarounds and there's assignments due within a quick 
timeline. And so, you know, that the level of um, uh, working under constraints, that, that aspect I've really had to learn. Uh, and that's really big in the advertising world here. I know in India as well, the advertising industry, especially on the music side, is, is huge. That's a big, that's a big uh, industry for music composers. So right. that's something that we've all had to adapt to because the technology is so good. Um, directors, producers, executives, they want turnarounds and deliverables within, you know, sometimes within 48 hours, sometimes within a week, sometimes within two weeks. And so that applies to not only composers, but to film directors and producers and such too. So, um, yeah, that was a big, big turning point for me. Great. One thing I want to particularly talk to you about, Gagan, is just when we were getting started, you talked about how you as a six-year-old saw that performance by Yanni, you know, and that got you influenced, kind of pushed you more towards the music scene. So just like Yanni, which all creative geniuses Gagan really follows or admires or you know, probably want to work with someday? Well, I've been very, very fortunate over the past couple of years. Uh, some of them... Uh, have become my mentors, like personal mentors. Some of them have become personal friends, uh, personal allies, um, colleagues uh, that, of course, I admire and I look up to. But now there's a, a you know personal friendship and a personal relationship that I really cherish. Um, for me, it's uh, oh my god, it's all across the board. So there's people in Canada, there's the U.S., India. I grew up on Indian music just as much as I did on music in North America, Western music as well. So, um, you know, number one, I probably have to say it was definitely Yanni uh, at that time. And that never, I'm still, I'm still a diehard fan. I don't care how cheesy it is. Uh, I'm a big fan of Yanni. Never had the pleasure of meeting him yet. Um, Also people like A.R. Rahman, people like Salim and Suleiman. Salim and Suleiman Merchant have become... um, you know, like older brothers to me, they're, they've become like mentors over the past few years. They visit Toronto every year. Of course, this year they didn't due to the pandemic, but uh, uh, we're quite close now as well. There's a gentleman that I was going, I have a very interesting story about him, but uh, he moved from Toronto to Los Angeles now. His name is Stefan Macchio, and uh, he's a composer from Toronto, from the greater Toronto area, who uh, I was... Uh, I would I would touch base with him via social media and I spoke with him directly and said, you know, I want to assist you. I'll be your like while I was in school, I was like, I'll be your uh, little assistant, your coffee boy, your tea boy. I'll pick up all the microphones and microphone cables and the studio sessions. I just want to learn, you know, and he had a beautiful recording studio here in downtown Toronto, but he ended up moving to L.A. Um, But last year we connected when I went to L.A. and he was kind enough to uh, allow me to visit his studio and, and we really uh, connected there as well. So many mentors. Now I sit on the um, the board of something called the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, which uh, really has another bunch of mentors for me that are at all different levels in their career. Some are you know, almost at the retiree level, uh, veteran composers, senior composers, and some are much younger. So there's many names there and many acknowledgements there to be had. People like John Wellsman, um, Adrian Ellis, uh, Marvin Dolgay. So there's, you know, there's a whole Canadian scene here as well um, of people I, I admire. Oh, geez. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a long list. It would be a long list of people. Some that, again, some that I've met, I've luckily had the pleasure of meeting already. And some 
uh, that I have yet to meet. Yanni is one that I have to meet in my, uh, my lifetime. Another one is a, a real, real um, person I, I treasure. The more I, I just study the man, uh, his name is Quincy Jones. Uh, and you, you may be familiar with Michael Jackson's uh, thriller record from 1982, which was just like everyone else. That's one of my favorite all-time pieces of uh, musical history. And Quincy Jones is, I think he's 87 this year. What a, what a hero uh, he is. He's a musical hero to everybody. And probably the person who invented a career that I'm pursuing because before him, there, there were levels of careers and uh, Sir George Martin who produced for the Beatles and, and people like that were out there. But Quincy Jones really made the composer slash record produce, producer slash executive producer um, something that's, that can be done. And it's done very rarely, but that's something that I want to do is be able to uh, move across all boards of the entertainment uh, business. And I mean, he just conquered all of them. And I don't know if I'll, I'll ever be able to do even a quarter of what he accomplished, but uh, it's a good muse for me to have. It's like, again, since you had the privilege of meeting such great people, you know, such people who have left a tremendous mark on the industry through their work. So is there anything in particular, a common thread which you picked up, you know, you find, okay, Harmeet, now this is one common thing in all these great successful people. That's a great question. I think all of them told no uh, at one point. All of them were told that they were, you know, slightly off. They're slightly crazy. All of them were told they're workaholics. All of them had to illustrate and display a level of perseverance that I just do not see in most people. And I meet I meet lots of people very regularly. And I know lots of people and I just do not see those qualities very often. Um, so when we say we talk about things like, you know, determination and desire and passion and perseverance, those words are thrown around a lot these days. And they're excellent words, they're words that I live by, too. But they become a cliche and they're, they're used so regularly now that when I when I think of those people like uh, Yanni was when you when I hear his story, he was, you know, this is a man who was um, a 33 year old man, a 34 year old man who was living in his sister's basement, uh, who did not have much money. Uh, he was also an Olympic athlete before that, but he's willing to throw it all away for his love of music. And, um, you know, he took a massive loan on his, on his head to perform live at the Acropolis. And luckily, I believe it was PBS televised it and he worked out a deal with them and it became super successful in the early 90s, I believe, late 80s, early 90s. But if, the, if that did not happen, you know, then what? But there's someone like Yanni, um, there's someone like Quincy Jones or someone like uh, Air Rahman, whose father passed away at the age of, I believe, 10 years old. So many of these people come from nothing and they have perhaps a, a lack of resources, but there's just this this unbelievable, undeniable uh, faith that they have in themselves, the universe, their gift. And uh, however they're able to do it, they've, they've managed to do it, you know. Is it, is it scary? Is it, is it something that they've, they're just fearless? No, I don't think these are fearless people. I think these are very courageous people. And I think there's a difference. You know, I think, um, do I have fears? Do, do I have anxieties? Absolutely. But I think the, the difference between being fearless and courageous is these people were willing to, 
to still uh, tread a path that uh, there was no light on and, and bring light towards that path. It's like walking in the dark, you know, you, you, you might stumble over and, and hit some things, but you know, eventually you're going to, you're going to get to the door and you're going to open the door and there's going to be light. They are like, uh, the, these people, if they did not trailblaze those paths, I mean, um, I don't know if, if I uh, have what it takes in me mentally to pursue a career like this, but because they have trailblazed those paths, you know, when I am facing a difficult challenge or going through, you know, a tough time, I'm able to look to them and, and really get some inspiration and get back. Great. Fantastic. And I think you really uh, put the things in perspective, Gagan, you know, these are the great people who took the road less traveled. Absolutely. Uh, so you talked about, Gagan, the, the struggles and challenges which uh, these people faced maybe a few decades prior. So if I talk to you about since you're being, working closely uh, in the music scene as an artist who's just newly venturing out into the music scene, how hard it is for them to make a name for themselves? Well, this that's where um, it's a little different for me because I don't look at myself as an artist. Well, I look as an artist, especially in the world of music. I see myself more as a composer or a record producer. So, I, so com- as a composer, I look at myself as a craftsman. And as a record producer, record producers are people who work hand in hand with the artist. We're almost right. like, you know, the artist's backbone. So I, I look at my role as someone with, so, you know, the, uh, it's, it's more of someone a little bit more in the background. So whether you look at like uh, executives, you look at managers, agents, uh, PR people, choreographers, and for for live uh, dance sequences, all those there's like a gazillion jobs in that. I look at myself as the actual artist because I don't I'm not a singer, so I'm not um, looking at myself as the artist in that sense. But I, I see absolutely what you're saying. You know, just to answer your question flat out directly, it's um, it is extremely difficult. I think being a successful artist depending on how you if you're looking at success as like someone who's you know selling out concerts everywhere making millions and millions of dollars and you know has millions of millions of followers around the world and a massive fan base that's akin probably akin to being a major athlete in the world being that level of celebrity uh now though things have changed and they're continuously changing there's things like youtube and tiktok where there's children coming out of you know <laughs> left field and out of the blue just be, you know becoming famous and, and great for them but um conventionally being an artist you know even in the age of youtube it's a one in a maybe not one in a million thing but it's a one in a hundred thousand thing to be super successful so um i think not only do you have to have the goods you know i i talk to a lot of singers and they may not have to be the best but they have to be super unique and different and stand out on on many levels, but they also have to be all those things that we talked about that the qualities that, you know, the Yanni's and A.R. Ramans and Quincy Jones and Salim Suleiman's of the world have and had is, uh, especially at the beginning stages, an unbelievable faith in themselves and a belief that's just, um, you know, it's unparalleled, it's unmatched because it is, it is very hard. Now, a- another thought on that is that it's a little bit different the time we live in. So in the era we live in, the artist doesn't have to rely on a traditional record label or a, a wealthy patron to get them all the way to the that level. 
these days you you can build your own audience, your own fan base uh, through you know uh, social media, YouTube, and things like that. But at the same time, I think you have to take that with a grain of salt because because hopefully there's a little bit of a middle class being created within the world of music artists where it's not just you're a struggling artist at the bottom or you're in that one percent and you're you know at the very top so that's changing as we speak and, and hopefully i i hope it'll change for the better great uh, so again uh, it's not just about the music scene which is changing the yeah. world is also changing you know i mean uh, we are going through very tough times right now so I, i want to understand from you in such tough challenging times where the world is going through a lot how do you keep your creative juices flowing oh that's a fantastic question um and i think the tough environment isn't just what we're dealing with as a world it can be personal challenges you know those are always that's just a part of life that struggle and um to answer that i think um that's something that i battle with every day to to ensure you know i'm a well-oiled machine which some days i'm just not whether i i would like to be or not um Ideally I would like to be this well-oiled machine who can just create and churn out high-level material every day but that's not I'm a human being after all and <laughs> still flawed but the number one thing I think especially now at my age I value the most is um my health uh, so when I was you know 10 years ago I didn't I didn't have to worry about any of that but now for me it's much important to much more important to get in a workout to get in some level of cardio to get in some form of meditation especially in the morning i like to do that i like to really just do something refreshing in the day even if it's going for a walk by the beach by the water i sometimes will do that there's there's a beach near my place and i'll go for a walk collect my thoughts sometimes listen to music sometimes just listen to the birds in the air come home and um come to the home studio especially these days i'm working from home in the pandemic and uh it just you know refreshes me Another thing I really like to do to keep inspired is to listen to great artists and listen to great music and I really believe that um in my opinion one of the greatest musicians who ever lived ever a, f- a phenomenal jazz arranger he said that there's only two real genres of music there's good and there's bad I'm just paraphrasing um but it's the same way to me you know uh to me there's so many fabulous genres of music and you know I try to listen to many things but um uh you know things like classical music western and eastern classical music you definitely tend to grow an appreciation for them as you get older as i have i didn't i didn't appreciate classical music when i was younger i was my mom would force me to listen to indian classical music and you know i didn't i didn't really appreciate it as much as i do now and a western classical music i had to study in several courses at the university of toronto like i mentioned and I didn't fully have an appreciation for what Bach or Beethoven or Brahms were doing but uh now I do and you know I'll listen to great music to clean, you know really cleanse my palate I'll make sure I get in some level of exercise hopefully in the morning before I'm uh you know getting in the studio and getting creative but a lot of times you know another thing that's underestimated is our own imagination just closing your closing your eyes going within and just getting yourself to a state of calm to a state of peace to a state of harmony and then it's just flow you're just trying to enter flow state um and all the top athletes in the world I'm really inspired by the top athletes of the world and they a lot of them talk about visualization strategies a lot of them talk about flow state 
And I love that. I just, uh, I'm so enamored by that because it's something that I experience. You know, we talked about Yanni, uh, Yanni on his YouTube channel, I believe he, he has a video or a mention of how he's able to, he's able to just control his, his flow state. I'm not at that stage. And he's like, I just, as I know, I'm going to be on stage or we have this concert, 8 PM, whatever it is. He's like 758 or whatever. He's in, he's in like that with a click of a button for himself, metaphorically speaking. And uh, he's in the zone. And he said, I can, I can en- enter and exit that mental space or that um, heightened space, that heightened frequency, almost at a whim. And he's like, I do it. He says he does it in 30 minute blocks as well, because his body physically heats up to a temperature where he needs to get out of the zone, so to speak, for a minute, two minutes, five minutes, and then he's right back in it. So to me, that that's extremely fascinating. And that's somewhere I would aspire to get to. And again, I don't know if I'll ever 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 get to that state in this lifetime but um people who are able to control that flow state to that level i think you know that's just unbelievable and that's when you're probably just you're unmatched and you're just churning out material fabulous material you know that's really inspiring again you know taking a cue from what you've just shared with us i'm sure a lot of us can also get inspired and I could re- really resonate with what you said, Gagan, you know, that the top 1% posts people in the world, they visualize, they believe in the concept of law of attraction, uh, visualizing how's the day going to be tomorrow. You know, even the great Indian cricketer, Sachin Tendulkar, he talks about like tomorrow, if he's got a match, the match begins in his mind a day before. He says, I can visualize that tomorrow I'm going to go out there on the pitch. I'm going to hammer the Australians. I'm going to go down yeah. and score a century. Right. right. So. He's actually shared that, and I believe that's where the top one person people in the world live by. Be it you know Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, or Usain Bolt. Right. But yeah, I think that's what the hallmarks have been of the great people. Hundred percent. Moving slightly from the individual music scene to let's say the film music industry. So how Gagan folded into films, you know, and any learnings you wanna share with us, which you had working in the film industry. Yeah. So. Um... I haven't necessarily worked on AAA Hollywood movies as of yet, but uh, <laughs> Drone was a big one. That was one um, I worked on in tandem with with Michael Nielsen, who's a composer from uh, Vancouver. Um, he was actually very kind to bring me on board for that movie, um, and it's directed by Jason Bork. Prior to that, I was doing a lot of kind of local advertisement music, and I was doing some spots like we call them spots like tv spots and cues for film and i was working on short films so really like to answer your question the the absolute beginning for me was short film really at the student level i was a student in my undergraduate and you know i was doing music for free or for very small fees you know just you know for the sake of my time to pay for my time and i was uh creating scores and for me it was like um I really believe in, especially for the younger people working on, it doesn't even have to be music, any type of craft of filmmaking, anything like that. The whole idea of getting paid to learn. I love that idea because we're in the, you know, traditionally in the, in the academic world, you, you pay to learn and you pay to the level of you go into debt to learn and then you come out of it. But for me, I believe in like, if you can work for someone or with someone or, you can work on bettering your skill while getting paid, even if it's just a little bit, you know, even yeah. if it's $5 or whatever, to me, the concept is excellent because 
um, you're paying for your own time, even if it's on a minimal level, and you're pay- you're getting paid to up your skill level in this world where skills are yeah. so valuable. I uh, I apologize to to uh, go off tangent a little bit, but um, you know, just to answer your question, yeah, it really started many of these short films for me. Um, one of the directors who I who I won that award with the um, the best original score award um, in 2016. That was a director who got me started in short films and in advertising and his name is Lee Foster and he's he's a good friend of mine who's who's local to me as well you know after that it was just it's been a very uh, entrepreneurial type of road like I've had to uh, build my own network I've had to I had to learn how to be a business person which is which is not difficult I'd say the hardest challenge in this uh, field is to you have to be creative for several hours a day and in that creative period, you have to have a high output. It's not like, with all due respect to many other jobs, many jobs are just kind of automated. You just kind of go in and, and do the work, and sometimes it's mindless. Um, in our line of work, you have to turn out high output stuff. You you have to make what the director wants and what your client wants, and you have to do something outstanding every time within a given deadline, within uh, given constraints, whether they're budget budgetary constraints, um, whether they're time constraints, many things like that. And then you also have to be a businessman at the same time. So you have to learn how to be a great negotiator. You have to learn how to do fairly high level administrative work, uh, almost like you're like an executive assistant to a CEO. <laughs> at the beginning, you're the CEO, you're the executive assistant, you're the financial advisor, you're the contract uh, lawyer, you're the uh, mediator you're the composer, you're the musical director, you're music supervisor. So it's like, I'm wearing like, you know, 20 hats. And especially at the beginning, I didn't exactly know how to do all those things. And there's no way in hell that school taught me how to do all those things. Right. <laughs> so um, part of my work has been, you know, again, not to go too much off topic, but part of my work since I was, uh, since I got out of school and I jumped right into the uh, field of entrepreneurship, I was lucky enough to have some of my great professors who are mentors to me call me back and say, hey, come back to um, UFT and come back to school and uh, do a couple of guest lectures or say a few words or do some presentations for uh, on, on what you're doing and the beginning of what it looks like of creating your own route once you get out of school in, you know, arts management and music production and and media studies and all those things. And so, um, you know, I've gone back and I've really, really tried to hammer into the students and the kind of the next ones, the next chosen ones, we'll call them that are coming out of that program, who are going to have to struggle. And of course, it's not, it's not a, it's not any easy road for most of us, but really just trying to hammer into them that you got to find a way to be able to have your creative side and have your business or administrative side, whatever you want to call it, and be able to really navigate both of those very well. And hopefully along the way, which I've slowly, I've gradually been doing is build a team around yourself that is better than you on, on the things that you're just kind of come see, come saw, you're just average at, and you get to do the things that you're great at. Because ultimately, like, you know, I, I want to be great. I don't want to be just average, you know? And this is what my mentor also tells me, you know, if you keep moving in life in a straight line, you are definitely going to go down. 
aim for the level up because if you don't aim, you just move in a straight line. There is no straight line. It's right. an illusion. You are actually going down. My brother has this great line. He always tells me. He basically says that you're never really going like neutral like this. You're you're always constantly moving. We're always constantly. Yeah. You look at cells. You look at atoms. We're always moving, and you're not you're not moving neutrally. You're either moving up. You're moving down. Right. You're either moving left or you're moving right. So there's you know indecision is also a decision. Right. So it's um. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where um, I think if you're not growing, you're doing yourself a disservice. Now, do I believe in that you can grow at a rate of 100% or 50% or 20% every day? No, I think that's ridiculously, phenomenally difficult and challenging to do. But, you know, for most of us, uh, realistically, can we grow 1% to 2%? If we really push ourselves 5%, you know, 4 to 5% a day, yeah, most days I think, even on the difficult days, I think we can grow at least 1%, you know. Right. And if you live, what did they say? We live on average 26,000 days. Let's say we live 26 to 30,000 days in an average lifetime. If you're growing, you know, 1% to 2%, you know, after the age of 17 or 18, whatever it be, I think you will end up being a service to a society around you, you'll end up being uh, someone who came and made the world even just 1% better and then left. A better place to live, yeah. Absolutely. And then you, for me, I'd be happy. Fantastic. You you started out as a three-year-old kid trying to play tabla, and now uh, you're donning 20 different hats, director, a composer, and also of, of an entrepreneur. So what's your purpose in life? What, what drives you every day once you get up in the morning? Oh, that's another great question. Um, again, I think my purpose, and this is something I, that I have to revisit, you know, if not daily, at least weekly, because um, life throws so many wrenches at us and we have to reevaluate regularly. But um, for me, I think some days my purpose is to just be a good brother or to just be a good son, you know, and help my family when they need me. And some days my purpose is... Um, you know, to just be a good human being in society and help out my community. Many days, my purpose, I believe my purpose is to, to be a trailblazer, to be someone who can create a path, create light in the name of, of darkness. You know, I, I, I have another, I had another really uh, fascinating conversation with my brother and he told me, you know, generally, you know, it's a cliche, but we generally live up to the meaning of our name, to what our name, the, the meaning that's behind our name. So my full name is Guggen Deep. So Guggen Deep means Guggen means the sky or the cosmos, and um, Deep means like diva or candle or light. So the light in the sky or the light in the cosmos. And the way I see it is like amongst a vast array of you know, it's like in the universe you're you're a light. You're someone who is a guiding a guiding light. You're someone that illuminates areas you go, and you create a hopefully create a path forward. So for me, I believe the whether I chose it or not, I don't believe I did choose it. I believe it was a gift given to me by God was um, and by the universe was music and sound. Uh, and so as I move in that direction more and more, and I move in the direction of everything that has to do with that, and all the, the passions around that, I believe that I'm here to help create a, tra you know, a trajectory, whether it's for P 
people who wear a turban and are visible minorities like myself, whether they're just people of color, whether they're just any type of different person who, you know, has gone through things like racism and such to create a path forward, you know, in the North American world, in the world of Hollywood, in the world of, you know, in the Canada, in Canada and the United States as well. So I think in terms of my career purpose, I definitely see that as a motivation. And um, I definitely want to inspire others with my uh, trials and tribulations and, and my path forward. So I think, you know, I think that's the path. But some days, you know, quite quite honestly, Harmeet, some days my path is just being a good, decent human being in society, being someone who helps take care of their family. Fantastic. I love that, Gagan. So I want to read out something which I read about you sometime back. Gagan wants to be the first turbaned Sikh gentleman to be seen conducting the orchestra on the podium of a Hollywood score. So I'm really curious to know, Gagan, what this dream of yours is all about. Sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it's basically answering the previous question. I think that's part of my, now I could be wrong. You know, it's always like, uh, what's the quote about when man plans and, and you know, God laughs at the, the man's plans. <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm really in control on that level of my life, but I would love to you know, I, I feel I feel those feelings with a little parentheses, with a little uh, in, in brackets, like, of course, this is it's really not about me. It's about God and what God wants for me. You know, what purpose does the universe have for me to serve? And I'm there to do that. But right now I do feel like it's it's music and I feel like it's, um, uh, you know, down the road. It, may, it might be to help others. You know, it might be to help others through music. It might be to help others in many other areas of life. But that specific thing, I think, you know, I think we were talking off offline as well about it, that um, I don't have a particular muse or mentor or someone that I can look up to in Hollywood who's, you know, a visible minority or, um, a, a, you know, a Sikh or a person who wears a turban, uh, someone like that who I can visibly point out and say, hey, this person's a composer in Hollywood. I see them you know, whether it's, you know, at the, the Grammy Awards or the Oscars conducting an orchestra or big bands or whatever, I, like, I, I don't see that. I don't see our people um, leading jazz bands. I don't see our people, I've, I've never seen our people leading an orchestra. And to me, that's to our detriment because the symphony orchestra is, is incredible. And um, I mean, music in, you know, when I look at the South Asian culture, it's so rich in music. When I look at the Sick history and sick musical history, it's so rich as well. We have so much to offer. And, you know, I've discussed things like bringing some of our ancient uh, instruments from, you know, our guru's times, whether it's like sarod or saranda or taus. I actually have a taus here in my home studio, which is actually my, my mom bought from India. Now, the taus was something that was, it looks like a dilruba or a, or a sarangi, but like way larger because our sixth guru who is like almost seven feet tall it was custom made for him and taking instruments that sound so beautiful and rustic and rich like that to blend them with a western symphony orchestra a traditional you know 60 70 piece orchestra i don't i've never heard that or i don't really get to hear that and i think the person who has come close to doing those levels of things um and has really broken barriers for us between South Asian and Indian classical music and Western classical music has been, you know, Yair Rahman himself, who's, who's right. won Oscars and things. And that's fabulous. And that's phenomenal. Um, and I think he's taking the South Asian community somewhere and he's taking the Tamil community somewhere and the South Indian 
to be somewhere. But I don't, you know, again, I, I haven't seen, unfortunately, one of one of us, someone who's a, a Punjabi background or a Sikh background that has, has done that. So for me, it's a, yeah. it's not the main goal or the main purpose. And you know what, if it never happened, it wouldn't be the end of the world too. But it's, uh, it's definitely kind of, um, there's an asterisk I've put beside it. And it's on the list of, <laughs> it's on the bu- bucket list of things to do, you know, that like, hey, this would be really fantastic if I could accomplish this in my life. And I think I, I feel that even if someone before me does it, great. But I feel what it will do is it'll open floodgates in Hollywood. Because the one thing I like about Hollywood is that, you know, when something good does happen or something different happens, they do want some more of it, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's with the blessings and prayers of everyone around me. Thank you for sharing that dream of yours with us, Gagan. It's a beautiful dream. And I hope you get to tick off that bucket list very soon. Trust me, the world needs more role models like you, Gagan. We wish the best to you in this journey of yours. Thank you. Can you just share with our listeners today, Gagan, something about your upcoming projects and where we can see you more on the music scene? Sure. So, well, number one, I've ne- through the coronavirus, um, you know, I lost a lot of work as so many others did. So I'm, you know, I'm not the only one. So don't feel too bad for me. But what I did was I begun to work on a solo album, an instrumental album of music. And I don't necessarily have a large body of instrumental work out there on, on all platforms. So that's something that you guys are going to see in the near future. If not later this year, uh, it would be at the top of next year. So I've, I've circled October or January. So we're just working out a potential publishing deal for it as well. It's an 11 track album. The second thing you can look out for, and I hope we're a little bit just at the beginning of it, but I, I hope I have the, I'm permitted to speak about it, but basically uh, I'm working on a video game soundtrack. So this is my first video game score. Wow! It's a game called Star Salvager. And I believe it'll be on, I think it'll be on most gaming platforms, everything from, you know, PC onwards. And it's a fantastic, cool game that'll attract quite a demographic. It's it's like an arcade style, kind of a retro style game. Um, so for that, uh, I've had the pleasure of producing a bunch of like early 80s style music into you know, influenced by things like Battlestar Galactica to uh, the sound of Daft Punk and, you know, all these kind of retro-y synthesized electronic sounds. Ooh, what else? I have, a you know, a couple of uh, very cool international projects coming up that I can't speak too much about yet, but they involve a couple of people that I mentioned already on the podcast. A couple of those people do happen to be in Bollywood in Bombay. A couple of those people happen to be in Los Angeles as well. So very cool kind of uh, international collaborative kind of stuff. Uh, if you follow me, follow me on social media, you'll probably see by the end of the summer some of the things posted about that. I'm also, I've produced a couple of records for a fantastic uh, new artist by the name of Stephanie Carcace. She's um, a Latin American artist who is uh, from Miami, Florida. She's got a fabulous voice. She sings, you know, she's very versatile. She sings everything from contemporary Baroque pop, this kind of alternative pop sound to, uh, you know, she can almost go operatic and she's got a very cinematic voice. So, you know, we'll be looking to place those singles when they when they release and you'll see a lot more on that as well um we'll be looking to place those into film and television as well um another thing is um uh, just as an aside to all my scoring work 
um, something I'm very passionate about right now is I, I was appointed um, almost two years ago now, I was appointed to uh, be on the board of the Screen Composers Guild of Canada. So what we are is we're an, a national association that represents all the music composers and music creators for media across Canada. And we also work with our North American and our European counterparts on federal level, high level issues that are facing this industry right now, because there's a gazillion issues that we're facing. One of them right now, which is a hot topic in North America, especially the United States, but it's in Canada now as well, is diversity inclusion. And so we've kind of partnered those with women's rights in our world because we don't see uh, enough uh, female composers as well. And we want to see more of that. And we don't see enough, you know, uh, we use the term BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. We don't see enough of those uh, composers coming from those communities or who are identified with those communities within our industry are having uh, prominent roles or prominent, you know, levels of success in, in this industry. And, um, you know, and that's something that, that I'm battling with. So, you know, I co-chair a committee on our board that is focused on specifically in Canada, I've really trying to put a fire under people's butt about like, hey, let's, you know, we need to fix this now because uh, my generation is here now. We're knocking on the door. We're here and, and we're working and we're ready to work. So uh, there there's a lot of change that I believe in intuitively from from the you know feeling of my gut and also from what i'm seeing that's going to be coming to this industry um and you're seeing it around the world you're seeing i mean you, you look at what's what's happening in india and bollywood uh you look at what's happening in hollywood you look at what's happening i believe there's a lot of things going on in europe as well so this is a worldwide thing that is uh, going to be changing and i think that the year of 2020 i've seen a lot of memes on social media that friends and things have posted about oh i want 2020 to be over and 2020 was horrible and it was like this and yeah it, you know what there's there's been a lot of tragedy over 2020 and you know the whole world is absolutely uh facing facing levels of travesty and um, horror for lack of better word but i think that there's going to be a side where we when we come out of this when we come out of 2020 or you know whenever you know, the, the end of this is, or the beginning of the end of this is, there's so many other underlying issues that were just thrown under the rug that our world and our societies had to deal with and face and they when we were not facing them. And now I feel maybe the coronavirus was a trigger for all of that to happen. And uh, I feel like, you know, that's on the verge of slowly happening soon. Right. So, so, you know, I'm just going to keep plowing forward. And for me, my my challenge to me has always been greater than myself that I have to do something that's bigger than just me and my own success. Because I mean, you know, I could, I could go get a job at a bank and, and be done with it all, you know, and just live my own life quietly and happily. But uh, to me, uh, like, I, I just feel like I've, God has given me some tools to do a little bit more than that. So I should do more than that, you know. Great. Really inspiring what you shared with us, Gagan. So this brings us towards the last segment of the show, one minute round. I'm going to give you a minute each and you'll have a few questions to answer. Here's the first one. What success means to you? Number one, it means peace. And number two, it means joy. One book which you recommend everyone should read and buy? I think it would have to be, I was going to say The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, but um, my brother gave me just one that's just on another level. The Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. And anything in particular you liked about that? Oh man, you got to read it, my friend. <laughs> we'll do that. So what's happiness for Gagan? Happiness is creating great music. Happiness is all my loved ones are happy. All my loved ones are taken care of. 
happiness is abundance. It's abundance of of health, wealth, joy, of bliss, and of peace. I, I can't stress peace enough. The last line of your autobiography would read, Stay true to who you are, to your true nature. Fantastic. So, Gagan, here's a scenario. You're standing in a room. You're the only person in that room. The lights are dim. After a minute, someone walks into that room. Now, this person stands in front of you now. And this is the younger version of Gagan, a 17, 20-year-old Gagan. He comes and stands in front of you. He looks into your eyes and very sincerely asks you, what's the best way to live life? So what would be your advice to this young Gagan? That's a phenomenal question. Um, I love that question. And, and again, that's something I think about. I ponder that a lot. I would tell him to, very personally, in my situation, I would tell him to not not take stress so easily, to enjoy and, and laugh at every given moment and every given chance, every opportunity you have to experience joy, to experience love, to experience peace um, and laughter because you'll realize how um, as you get older, when you come seven, eight years, nine years later, uh, you're going to realize how um, fragile, temporary this life is. So, so just, just cherish that every single day, that every moment that you get. Gagan, it's been a sheer privilege and an honor talking to you today. Hey, likewise. Knowing about your journey, knowing who you are as a person, and how passionately you feel about things, not just in your life, but in society as well. And I wish you all the very best for your future endeavors, Gagan. And I really wish, you know, one of your dreams of performing uh, in an orchestra and a Hollywood score does come true one day. And I, I would really would love to be sitting in the audience that day and watching the first Turban Sikh perform and the world will truly admire your talent that day. Thank you so much for doing this, Gagan. Thank you so much, Harmi. Thanks so much for having me on board and, and a special thank you to uh, everyone who's listening in. And Gagan, what's the best way for people to connect with you to reach you? Best way would be um, any of my social media handles, um, whatever you're on, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, you can find me at, so it's at Gagan Singh Music. So I'll spell that out. So it's at G-A-G-A-N-S-I-N-G-H Music, M-U-S-I-C. And that's all lowercase and as one word. Thank you so much, Gagan. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, brother. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hustle with Hermit. If you're listening to us on iTunes, Please don't forget to leave a 5-star review on the Apple Podcast. If you're listening to us on Spotify, do click on the follow button. If there's any feedback from this episode, you may write to us on hermitspeaks at gmail.com. Also, do check out our Instagram handle at the rate hustle with Hermit for all the latest updates. I'll catch up with you all next week. And yes, remember, don't give up on your life and dreams. Keep working hard, keep moving ahead and keep hustling because one day your success will make all the noise. This is your host, Harmeet Singh, signing off. Goodbye.